0: hey business besties welcome back to the female founder world podcast i'm jasmine Garnsworthy. i'm host of this show and the person behind all things female founder world today i'm speaking with ariana she's the founder of a brand called half days and they are doing very interesting things in the like ski outdoor wear space i'm gonna be really candid i hadn't heard of them until Some of the girls on my team were like, I'm obsessed with this brand. I follow the founder. All of my friends want to shop them. They're on our like holiday gifting wish list. And I was like, okay, they've clearly created something really, really special here. And I looked into what Arianda and her co-founders have built and honestly was just so impressed. They've hit eight figures in revenue. She is I think she's 26 years old, she started this company when she was super young and I just think that the product that they create is amazing, their approach to brand and positioning is super, super interesting and I also have her speaking at our Female Found World Summit, she's doing this presentation which is going to be like a zero to now, this kind of quick run through of everything they've done to get traction in the business so far. If you don't know what Summit is, Female Founder World Summit is happening on the 9th of December in New York. It is our big end-of-year party for the entrepreneurial girls in New York City. And honestly, folks are flying in from all over. We have someone coming from Australia. We've got people coming from Europe, from Mexico, from all over the country. This is going to be an incredible day. We've split it into part like conference and programming speakers like the founders of poppy which is the fastest growing beverage business or one of the fastest growing beverage companies in the us the founder of little words project of avrani of globar of the Zet, this incredible media business so many great speakers then we have the party portion of the day where we are doing drinks brand activations just good vibes a great room of people we found most amazing venue. We do events all the time, but this is honestly like I am taking things to a new level. We have been planning this for months. It's going to be an absolutely amazing day. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you to grab your ticket and I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get into the show. You are now entering female founder world with your host Jasmine Garnsworthy. Ariana, welcome to Female Founder World. Thank you, thanks for having me. For people who don't know what you're doing at Half Days, tell us about what you're building. Yeah,
1: absolutely, so Half Days is a women's ski and outdoor apparel brand. We launched in November of 2020, so we've been around, th- actually this month is our third birthday, which we're so excited Happy about. Happy birthday. Thank you. But yeah, we we effectively like had a frustration with the outdoor industry, specifically for women's apparel. My co-founder and I both came from kind of different backgrounds, from that regard. My co-founder is a professional skier. She competed at the 2018 Winter Olympics and I'm a very recreational skier. And the two of us had a common frustration that there just wasn't anything that was fashion forward, but also technical and approachably priced in the outdoor industry, specifically for women. And
0: yeah. This is something that I've actually thought about like quite a lot. I'm not even a massive skier, but any time that I've been on like a snow holiday over the last kind of like five years, I've been like, oh, what do I wear? And I've been on like Netapod and I'm like, I can't afford any of this. And all the stuff I can't afford is so ugly. Yep. And I didn't even know that you guys existed. And yep. here
1: we are. Totally. <laughs> that, was, that was the exact frustration we were having. Like I, I moved to Colorado when I was 23 years old, shortly out of college. And I got there and I was like, okay, I want some of these higher end brands, but I'm not really trying to spend $4,000 on a ski set. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these brands that have been around for decades, like, you know, really started in the 1960s by predominantly men. And the pieces are just really like, unflattering and boxy and ill-fitting for women. So I, I felt like I was in the middle and just didn't really find a brand that resonated with me at that time.
0: Were you friends with your co-founder before you started the business?
1: No so uh, we met in Denver through I, I became friends with her brother and he introduced the two of us. She was still living in Park City, Utah at the time and she visited Denver. She actually moved to Denver a few months later. We became fast friends and started half days like three months later. Oh wow
0: okay I love this story and some milestones for people to understand like where you're at because I feel like unless you like really dig in you kind of like, oh, okay, this is like a fashion brand. She started a few years ago. No, you guys have really got some serious traction. Yeah, definitely. So
1: like I said, we launched in November of 2020, and it was a really interesting time because it was like the peak of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think when we were launching, we we're like, are those ski resorts going to be open this winter? Like, we had no idea what was going to happen. And luckily, skiing was one of the only kind of activities you could still do that year. And the ski resorts were busy, like, People were getting out and skiing, and actually the following winter, the second year that we were in the market, was the busiest ski season on record in the U.S. ever. There were wow. like 61 million skier visits or something of the sort. So yeah, we, we launched in that first season, and we just had insane growth those first two years. We From the first season to the second season, we 10 x the business, and now three years in, we've
0: reached an eight, eight-figure annual revenue. And you've got some amazing stockers as well. Where are you sold?
1: Yeah. So predominantly direct-to-consumer today, but we have been pushing into wholesale in a bigger way. We are carried at Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Backcountry, and a a ton of kind of independent retailers as well. And it's been a really
0: successful channel for us. Very cool. Okay. I'm going to talk about retail and wholesale versus D2C in a bit, but I want to kind of like stay in the early days of the business because it's always really interesting, I think, hearing from someone who started something super recently and was able to like explode it in a massive way. What First of all, how were you kind of like funding the business in the early days? I imagine that the space that you're in is super expensive.
1: Yeah, it's definitely very expensive to produce this type of product. If you think about skiwear, it's like very technical. You have yeah. the zippers and the insulation and the fabric is waterproof and there's just like a lot of components to it. So it's a very like capital intensive product to produce, as well as buying the inventory. The MOQs are quite high. So yeah, we we definitely couldn't just pull you know five thousand dollars each into the business and say like let's launch a skiwear line. It just it just wouldn't work that way. So we had to get external funding like pretty early on. So we took on a loan from family and friends in the first like couple of months of deciding we wanted to do this business. And then about eight or nine months into that, we started, we found a manufacturer, found found a couple designers, built the initial brand and things like that. And then we raised a pre-seed round. So uh, we went out to to VCs and actually took on venture funding in the pre-seed round, which was pre-launch, pre-revenue, which I think a lot of founders have this kind of like preconceived notion that they just want to steer clear of venture. And I'm just I'm not in that camp. I th- I think mm-hmm. it's I think that if you're wanting to build something big, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't shy away from that path. I think that there's the wrong partners to work with. And I think there's the right partners to work with. And it's really about selecting the right partners.
0: Where did you learn how to navigate this like fundraising landscape? Like this isn't something that is taught in school. Like you have to go and acquire this knowledge somewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, It was a huge learning curve, to say the least. So I have two co-founders, Kylie, who I started the business with at the end of 2019. We started working on it together. And within six months, we were in conversation with this angel investor. And she introduced us to our now third co-founder, who... Had a bit more experience on that side of things. Her husband and a few of her family members were kind of in that world of venture and investment, so we did have a bit of access to kind of introductions and things like that on on that side of the world. And I think coming out of that, like if I if I didn't have that information of someone saying like this is how you put a deck together yeah. and these are the types of funds you should be thinking about, it would have been really difficult. So I think my advice on that side of things is find that person mm. who can be that for you, and they're out there like there are so many people that understand the VC landscape whether it's another founder or an advisor but definitely find that person if you're trying to explore going in to venture
0: what's it like having two other co founders like I'm doing this business by myself and I constantly just am thinking oh it would be really nice having somebody else or like somebody else's expertise that is just like invested in this and then also I like the fact that I'm the boss and the only decision maker What's the dynamic? How do you guys like split your roles? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Totally. It's a good question. And
1: I would say that it works really well for the three of us based on like the way that we split things out. I'm our CEO. So I like am kind of the final decision maker on everything. And that's just how it's been from the beginning. And I think Mm -hmm. if you can have the division of like, your co founders having trust in it, you know, it being any of any of the kind of one co-founder or the other. I think like having the trust in the other making a decision is so critical. And we all have such different personalities and expertise. And I think that's why it works really well, too. So I'm more like finance, operations, business, growth, wholesale. And then my co-founder, Kylie, is a former Olympic skier, so she works really closely on the product team and gear mm-hmm. testing and product research. And, and then Corel is really like an expert in marketing and partnerships and direct-to-consumer and things like that. So it, it really like kind of happened in a seamless way for the three of us to work well together.
0: Amazing. I have a very quick message from our sponsor. And honestly, we never do ad breaks on the show because I am just really picky about the sponsors that we work with and who we want to promote. We've partnered with folks like Shopify, TikTok for Business, just guys that we know are really going to help grow your business. And honestly, we've turned down a lot of the rest because we want to make sure that the people that we are recommending to you, our business bestie community, are going to help you grow your business and that they're the best in the category. All that to say, I'm about to tell you all about AMP, the folks behind a few of our favorite Shopify apps for e-commerce, because honestly, they're brilliant and their apps connect to each other within Shopify, which just makes your life so much easier. Amp is working with Female Founder World to co-host our group business coaching call series. It's happening right now. It is free thanks to their support. And we're able to offer live mentorship calls with the founders of companies like Crown Affair, Smart Suites, 54 Thrones, Bala, and Ceremonia. And you can sign up at the link in the show notes right now. For those of you who aren't familiar with AMP, they are loved and trusted by over 20,000 e-commerce brands. They create e-commerce app solutions that are interconnected, so no more random Shopify apps that don't sync up. And I'll tell you a little bit about one of my personal favorite apps that they have called Lifetimely. So just picture it's the end of a long day running your biz and you're trying to get your PL report. You've got your cost of goods sold open on one spreadsheet. Your meta ad costs are on a second. Google ads are somewhere else. And then your shipping costs are on an app somewhere on your phone. Honestly, it is hard enough to keep track of all your costs, but keeping your PL spreadsheet updated daily with all of these costs is time-consuming and honestly super prone to making mistakes and human error. With Lifetime Lead by AMP, you get an automated, accurate p Email sent to your inbox each day. It integrates with every major ad platform so you can easily keep track of your return on ad spend. And you can also add your shipping cost, cost of goods, and any other recurring or custom costs to the app. Lifetimely by AMP gives e commerce brands enterprise level reporting. You can install Lifetimely by AMP now on the Shopify App Store. Okay, let's get back into the show. What were you doing before you started this business?
1: Yeah, so I was I was young when I started this business. How old were you when you started? We officially started when I was 23 and we launched when I was 24. Yep. So, yeah, it was it was like Really early in my career, I had a couple years of work experience prior to starting Half Days. I was working for a company called the NPD Group, and they are a retail consulting and data analytics firm. So think like if you're working at a brand and you have access to like all of this data about sales and channels and kind of like where products are being distributed and things like that and and basically helping these brands take that information and and leverage it to make strategic
0: decisions okay super interesting okay i want to talk about like marketing how you guys are getting traction because that 10x growth from year one to year two is wild how did you do that
1: yeah so a, a few things i think just before i get into like the tactical side of it i think that during that season that we had the 10X growth, it was also the busiest ski season on record in the US yes, ever. So yes. I wanna like say that first because I do think there was like heavy demand in front of us and we just hit it at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think the other elements were PR. That was a really, really successful component for us, especially in the first season. And then influencer gifting. And I I would say that and then of course organic social, that was like a huge component of it as well. And I would, I would say that the thing we were trying to create in the first two seasons was feeling like you were seeing half days everywhere Mm. and that was intentional like we were trying to get it on a lot of influencers we were trying to get it in articles and kind of like listicles and things like that and and then we were also spending a bit on paid ads and we were also doing a lot of like IRL community events and doing a lot on Instagram. So it was kind of just like you'd see it on an influencer, you'd see it in an article, you'd see it on the mountain, someone wearing it and you're like, wow, half is everywhere. And I think that's kind of what we leaned into the first couple of years that worked really well for us.
0: When you talk about PR, did you work with a publicist like as soon as you launched? When did you bring that in? Did you guys manage it in house? I think a lot of people are unsure because it's such a big big expense when you're starting.
1: It really is. It was a big decision for us because I think there are so many opinions like one way or the other to go about for PR. And we had a great experience with it. We brought on a publicist who had like a small agency Mm -hmm. before we launched. So we raised a pre seed. We were able to use those resources to bring on, yeah, a publicist for the first season. And she helped us secure a Vogue feature on our launch day, which wow. was really instrumental. And it was a full brand feature, which wow. was which was crazy. And I think that really like put us on the map a little bit more and like really legitimized the brand, as well as secured a lot of great like influencer. Seeding partnerships that first season, we didn't pay for any of those partnerships, but we were just sending it out to the right people, and they were posting it, and it was new and exciting, and so yeah, um, I would I recommend PR. I know that it can be scary, and there are there also are like the wrong partners to work with, and
0: I think it's really about. Finding someone that recommends that publicist or agency. Totally. If you can get like a former client or a current client who recommends that person, like work with them. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, there's too many, too many like uh, not amazing publicists out there, I think, as well. Totally. Okay, cool. I want to talk about the influencer thing for a while because you said you weren't paying, but your product is pretty expensive. So, it, so that's still like a pretty big expense to be able to do any kind of like scaled influencer campaign yeah how many people were you gifting in the beginning like what does that program look like now yeah it's it's a really good point and I think for
1: us like our AOV is high so we're average order value if people yeah uh, exactly um so our average order value is is quite high and because of that it almost feels a little bit better to to gift someone and then they're feeling inclined to post because it's like oh I have this full new ski set for the winter or a winter parka or something that's Mm -hmm. you know you're you're not just sending them like something small that's worth ten dollars it's worth five hundred dollars or six hundred dollars so I think that's one advantage of it the program in the first season was like I think the strategy was like get it on anyone with followers that can post this and we definitely planned for it like on the side of having the additional inventory I want to say we probably sent out like a 100 influencer gifts that season and you know that's not a small investment but at the same time it was something it it really worked and it got the brand in front of a lot of people so yeah that's kind of what it looks like or what it looked like back then and like today it's definitely a bit more structured and who we're working with and now we have some paid creator partnerships and things like that I would say we're a little bit less focused on like sending out 100 free
0: packages and a little bit more like working with intentional people very cool and do you uh do you have like any kind of programs or tools that you're using to manage that in-house or you know is it just like using the DM feature in a Google spreadsheet. Yeah, we're doing it pretty
1: manually today,
0: honestly. Most people
1: do. There are so many tools
0: out there, but I don't think, I'm like, who's using them?
1: I know. I think those are for for companies that are like at scale, truly, Mm. and trying to get their product on like, thousands and thousands of creators and influencers and today I think you know at at least at our stage it just it makes sense to like own those relationships and really try to like to build those connections with with women that we're working with and and yeah just managing it internally for now
0: cool something else that I wanted to talk about is wholesaling because you've mentioned that you're kind of like doing before we started recording you said like you launched with the e-commerce, D2C business, but now you guys are kind of focusing more on the wholesale piece. What kind of caused that switch and like why why now? Yeah, it's a,
1: it's a great question. We, in 2020, launched 100% direct-to-consumer. We were like, we want to be owning our customer relationships. It was also kind of like around the time that D2C was still... The, the the move the move yeah. and I think the past couple of years have have shifted that in a variety of ways. I think COVID made people more comfortable to purchase exclusively online, which is is great. But I think it also like post COVID, people are excited to get back in store and try things on and have like this in person experience with the things really? that they're okay. purchasing. Okay. Like I think that that's shifted a little bit. And and not to say that e commerce isn't the move. Like the, I'm which, just lazy. I think yeah. <laughs> I'm going nowhere. Bring me the clothes. You're like no everything to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's definitely an it, it was it was an interesting time. I think like a lot of people are more comfortable with purchasing mm. online and making returns like through online platforms. I think that's all very true. And but I also do think that there is this kind of shift back to, to omnichannel right now, and we've we've had a lot of success with it. So we launched into. Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom and Backcountry. And those were all like a bit of a test for the first season. We did a few doors with each of them and online and they all were really successful. And now we're expanding into more doors, bringing on more partners over the next, like this year we onboarded quite a few additional partners and we're in conversation for several more next year. Um, And it's our goal to actually push more of the business into the wholesale channel in terms of like our revenue split. Um, I think when we first started to go into it, we're like, we'll do you know ninety percent of the business D to C, ten percent wholesale, and now we're thinking of getting closer to like the thirty yeah. percent revenue mark on wholesale. And I think that's predominantly because these wholesale accounts, these retailers, have doors across the country in the hometowns of millions of people, and it's just more it's difficult to get our product in front of all of those people um, in a digital capacity and. A physical capacity. So it's really just a, a way for us to get it in front of more people faster and have them be able to experience our brand in a physical way that we wouldn't be able to do on our own with like pop-ups yeah. in you know, dozens of cities quite yet.
0: Something that I think people don't talk about enough is like once you land a you know, a bigger retail account, you then have, it has to be successful. Like they have to sell through. So how do you support when you're bringing on board like Nordstrom or, you know, some of these partners that you're thinking about for next year that are kind of bigger? How do you support a launch there and just like make sure that the product is selling and people are going in and buying it and they're going to reorder. It's not going Mm -hmm. to get discounted, all that kind of stuff. Totally. It's, It's definitely a lot of work,
1: I would say, like first and foremost. When we launched with some of these partners, it was really just about communicating that to our customers, like having a stockist page on our site, like really promoting via email and social. These are the places that you can go and shop half days in person this season. Another thing that we did, which I think the retailers really loved and it ended up benefiting our success in the stores as well was when we would sell out of a a colorway or a style on our website we would actually direct our customers to their websites or to their stores and that was really successful so we would sell out of like you know let's say our Aston jacket in black or something like that which is one of our top sellers and that customer would be like trying to add themselves to the waitlist on the pdp and when when that would happen we would have a link there that said like sold out in your size or color that you're wanting you click on that button and it brings up the retailers near them and the online retailers that we currently have that piece sold at and that was really successful just in continuing to like
0: push people there do you use like a shopify app or something to do that do you know
1: I think we have a Shopify app for it. You also can just literally link it to your stockist page. Like it might not be on the SKU level necessarily, Yeah. but it's, yeah, we, I think the first season that we did it at least, it was just like linking to our stockist page. Okay. Very interesting.
0: Uh, You recently moved to New York. Why?
1: Yeah. So we opened an office here. We moved into our Soho space last year and it was, I I moved like earlier this summer, Mm -hmm. but We launched the company, (laughs) thank you. We launched the company in Denver, that's where our headquarters are still. And so we have half of our team there, half of our team in New York. We hired our uh, VP of product here in New York Mm -hmm. and she started to build the the product and design team here in the city and I think it's, it's really just where a lot of the fashion talent is and a lot of our wholesale accounts are here and our PR team is here so it just made sense to have an office here and yeah my co-founder and I were both in Denver working out of that office and I was like I feel like I need to get out there and spend some time with this team so it's, it's been super fun so far.
0: So what is the team structure now? You mentioned that some folks are in Denver, some are in New York, like how many people do you have?
1: Yeah, so we have about 15
0: full time and then a handful of freelancers. Amazing. I feel like businesses are built on the back of like the freelance economy. (laughs) How many companies are just like run by contractors and freelancers? Totally. Hey, Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, and I, you you've mentioned before, before the show that you do a lot of the hiring. I would love to know, you know, like you are a young CEO, you're probably hiring people maybe who are older than you, who are more experienced than you. What is that like being in the room with someone and also being like, hey, like I'm, I'm the boss, I'm the decision maker here. And... I guess having like the confidence in yourself to know like who's the right person and who's not and being able to assert yourself in that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic, like first and foremost. The thing that I have pushed myself to get better at from like first starting this business is knowing that I want people on my team and in the room that are smarter than me Mm. in the respective thing that they're doing. Like I am not a product expert. I am not... marketing expert i'm not the finance expert and i i think that my skill within my business is being able to like bring all of the parts together to build something great and having a vision for where i want this business to be but am i the one that is the expert in supply chain and logistics no so i think like that is the first thing to just address with yourself and get comfortable with that and then it makes everything a lot easier just to say like Okay, I'm looking for the best person to mm-hmm. bring in for that thing that's going to take my vision and and get it to the next level. So I would say like that was really really helpful to kind of just get to that point, and then it made it a lot easier to say, okay, you know, you tell me why you're the best person for yeah. this, and you tell me where we need to be going as a business. And I think like having yeah that mentality just makes it a little bit easier, and and also it also like puts puts it back onto them a little bit. Um, but to your question on how how you can navigate like knowing who the right people are. I think that you have to trust your gut oftentimes. Um I think if someone's telling you something that you don't feel is right for your business, like something is gonna go off in your head that, you know, you have to trust that. Um, but yeah, pretty much all of my, at least like kind of core direct reports for like the VPs of our department, like everybody is I don't know, a decade older than me. Yeah. And yeah, so it's it's been interesting on that front just to like get comfortable with it. But I think if you just go into it thinking, you know, we're all people and yeah. we're working together and we're going to
0: collaborate and build something amazing, like
1: I think you can get over that pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. You're a few years in now. Have you had to fire anyone yet? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. How did that go? It's hard. Honestly, when we've had to do it, it's it's been, well, there's been some performance, but a couple that were more of like a layoff actually mm. and we we hired too quickly for yeah. a few things and it's always hard because it's not the person's fault and it it's yeah you you kind of have to apologize and just say like sorry we we made a bet on this and it's it is not the area that we need to be allocating our yeah. resources right now and i think that's really hard it's really hard to do and i think it's a really hard thing to to like sit back and say do we have everybody on the team right now that we need are there like areas that we have too many people on a department and it's hard because you have personal relationships with everyone and you know it it becomes like a bit more of like an emotional thing too I'm
0: really curious about like what what shapes a person who is able to be a CEO at your age and like start a company at 23 and like why you had that confidence and that knowledge and also like there's a lot of humility there and being able to seek advice and not think that you know everything and I, I do think a lot of people don't kind of get until they're a lot older I think the average the average business is started when someone is in their 40s Um and I what like how do you think about that do you look at like, is it the way that you were raised? Is it something that is innately you? Are you somebody who's like consumed certain kinds of content as you've been growing up? Like, why do you think you're in this position?
1: I think it's a couple of things. So my parents are both entrepreneurs I think that was a huge component of it they have different businesses like hospitality Mm -hmm. is kind of their thing they own businesses in Michigan that are like travel and tourism and so I grew up around it I think that was one element of it I think that in my mind like even from growing up when I was really young like I was always trying to start little businesses when I was like eight years old like trying to do different things and so I think it's always like been a little bit of a personality and just kind of like growing up around it and And I also think that yeah back to it being like a personality trait I think there's a certain level of it's like a confidence thing Mm. and a which which I do think is like an upbringing thing like you know your parents being able to instill that confidence in you and I think it's also a like certain set of traits that give you like the I guess seeking challenge Mm. feels like one of the, the big things. You can't just sit and
0: chill. Yeah. Like, like put yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: if if you're constantly just wanting to be challenged by the yeah. next thing, like you're probably going to want to start a business and you're gonna want to like solve problems. So I do think and it's interesting, there's there's a lot of personality tests out there. We've been doing as a team strengths finders and okay. I think that was a really, really cool one to see. Just kind of like there were a lot of commonalities in like even the VPs on my team and in mine. Like and just kind of seeing, like, okay, there's certain things that bubble up that are, you know, like focus and even like some of the traits that are a bit more analytical will bubble up to the top. So yeah, I think it's a personality thing. I think it's an upbringing thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a little level of crazy, like in in like the nicest way possible. But I think you have to be willing to accept a good amount of risk and and kind of like just
0: jump into things. But yeah, I, I would say those are some of the things that I've like identified. Something that we spoke about before that I wanted to double down on that we didn't get into is uh you mentioned also having as well as these kind of like bigger stockers like independent boutique stockers. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious about how that works because a lot of the businesses in the community are not necessarily going after like, you know, net a or Target or like these big kind of like retailers. They're building businesses off the back of independent boutiques and some are getting to like significant revenue through the, this. Like, how are you guys thinking about that? Are you using any tools or platforms to like run that indie side of the business? And how much of like, how, how big is it now?
1: Yeah, it's it's still a smaller portion of yeah. our wholesale like channel strategy. It's an area that we're looking to lean into in a bigger mm-hmm. way. One, I guess it's it's a bit more of like agency than it is a platform, but we're looking at showrooms at this point to to be able to get into some of those boutiques. And I think for us it's it's not even about like I think we could do some of it internally and reach out to these independent partners and we have to a degree for some of them. I think it's about not knowing who they all are Mm -hmm. like what is the cool like outdoor boutique in bozeman montana like i i don't know and i think that there's just a lot of like small towns there's mountain towns there's even larger cities in the U.S. that I just don't know, like, what, what are those independents that we need to be in? So I think it's a little bit about, like, working with someone who has those relationships, knows, like, the, the retailers to be in. So showroom is something that we're definitely exploring
0: on that front. Okay, super interesting. We've spoken a lot about some of the wins that you've had as you're building Half Days, and, like, from the outside, I look at this brand, and I'm just like, wow, they've, they've nailed it but I'm sure that you have messed up along the way. And sometimes like we just need to hear about when somebody else has messed up because we are all doing this in our businesses. What's a big mistake that you and the team have made and what was the implications? How did you have it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first two seasons of the business, like I I mentioned, we're really like high growth. We've we've grown each season significantly, Mm -hmm. but the first two seasons, it was like season one to season two is 10Xing the business. Coming out of that second season, we had a wait list of 10,000 women trying to get ski
0: pants. What? How?
1: (laughs) How did she get that? Literally insane. And- I think it was just like people were like oh my god these pants they fit so well like everyone wanted them and they couldn't get them we sold
0: out. And this is through like the influence of the press like all of this stuff that you've been doing you built this white list. Yeah and then. And lo- also just having
1: great And pants. I think referrals too I think a lot of people yeah. were like word of mouth just like sharing it with friends and things like that. Come- so coming out of that we were like oh shit we need to really get our like inventory situation mm-hmm. together. We left a lot of money on the table this year and then going into the next season we overbought. We didn't have a great inventory mm-hmm. planner in the mix we weren't really sure like what colors to be investing into what the exact size curve would be longer term what yeah I think it was like a bit of a color and like just an over investment into certain things based on that wait list and due to that we we had like an overstock of inventory last season and that's something that we're working through now mm-hmm. and I think I would just highly highly recommend just being on top of inventory planning. And like now we've really, really like buttoned it all up and and have a great process around it and an inventory planner. But I would say like, it's good to have demand. It's good to have wait lists. Like, I think there's this thing that's like, oh no, like people are are wanting it. We don't have the product. Like we have to produce, produce, produce. But I think that just taking a step back and being like, it's okay to grow this conservatively and it's okay to have demand for it because that's just going to continue to build hype around the brand and and also just being really really cautious with inventory I think that would be my you know we're, we're kind of like getting past it right
0: now but it, it's not fun to have to go through amazing that's great advice and Ariana, the last thing I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource recommendation. It could be a book, it could be another podcast, it could be just literally anything that's been helping you as you've been building your business and like up leveling.
1: Yeah, I would say having really incredible advisors, which isn't a book, it Ooh, isn't talk to a me podcast, about building an
0: advisor.
1: <laughs> yeah. Kind of like. It's been game changing for us. So, before we launched Half Days, we were lucky enough to be introduced to the former CMO of Canada Goose. And Oh, wow. He was there from taking their company from like 17 million in revenue all the way through their IPO doing like more than a half of half a billion in revenue. And so he was there through like a lot of the scaling periods and and just transitions of that business and he agreed to come on as an advisor he'd recently Amazing. stepped away from Canada Goose uh, after they went public and you know so he's kind of retired now and just is is looking to take on like small projects so we were lucky to get him as an advisor whoever gave you that introduction I hope you've
0: sent them a lot of free product
1: <laughs> right I know literally but he's been working we talked to him weekly like he's incredible and then we brought someone else on recently who is another founder of a like several hundred million a year in revenue casual D2C company and they they both have been like so so instrumental in just helping us navigate everything and strategy and things like that so I would highly recommend getting a great advisor and they're out there a
0: lot of people are willing to help. Such a good tip and do you have to pay someone like that do they take equity are they just doing it because they've already made all their money and they want to like keep tapped in like how does that work? So we've
1: done equity for both of our advisors Uh and I think you know it's it's definitely an incredible way to incentivize somebody, especially when you don't have the money to do totally. it. Like we we brought our first advisor on before we even raised a pre seed, so we're like we don't have any money to give you, but you know throw them a half a percent or a yeah. percent of equity. And I yeah. think that that's really really valuable, and then it, it makes them
0: excited about the business for the long term. Yeah, like you want them bought in; they're going to be like champions of yes. the brand, and and I think that's really really helpful to have. Amazing. And do you when you're like working and structuring those kind of partnerships? Is there like a certain amount of time that they have to give you or are you just like you'll give them the whatever percent and kind of hope that they make good?
1: I would recommend having a clear structure. That's what we've done with both of our advisors. And for example, for the first advisor that we brought on, we set it up for like a period of time. So it was like we'll do a two year best on this equity. Mm-hmm. So they're bought in for two years minimum. Okay. And then from there structuring like the exact amount of hours they need to be committing monthly, how many meetings you wanna be having with them, and like you kind of agree on it. So I would I would highly recommend structuring it in that way, like get the recurring meetings on your calendar. Yeah. Because then then you have expectations. And,
0: and you can kind of from both sides of it have like accountability to that relationship. Okay, super helpful. Ariana, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you speak at Summit on the 9th of Yay. December. We're going to get into all of this and more. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: I'm so excited. Thanks for having me.
0: Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.